Hey everybody, Fran Fraschella here, and welcome to World of Basketball, the podcast that literally takes you from one corner of the globe to another as we search out international players, coaches, and executives who've had an impact on this great global game of basketball. And uh, if you like what we're doing and we're getting some great responses, uh, subscribe to the Apple feed, rate us a five, tell us what you like, and we'll continue to bring some great, great stuff. We've had some great guests on recently, like Jeff Van Gundy and uh, soon-to-be first-round pick Nico Mannion from Arizona. Of course, earlier in the year, we had Jerry Colangelo, the managing director of USA Basketball, Great. Andrew Gaze. Andrew Gaze, as my as my man Chris Tyler jumps in there. Lauren Jackson. Lauren Jackson, uh, two Aussies, and as you can tell by his accent, he was very happy about that. Surprised he didn't mention Kirk Penny also, one <laughs> yeah, of Wisconsin's uh, all-time great players and the only New Zealander to ever play in the Final Four. But uh, Chris, how we doing, man? What a, what a seven-game series we just saw uh, between the Clippers – and the, uh, and the Nuggets. Upstart Thank Denver goodness Nuggets. I'm not a Clippers fan. Let me just say that I've got a I've got a bad football team at home, right? I, I deal with that enough at home. Thank goodness my basketball team is half decent. Because man, how terrible would it be to be a Clippers fan? Up three one. Yeah. Doc has already lost two different series after being three one up. This is the yes. third time he's blown a three one lead. It's well, you, you would be feeling very good if you're the Clippers crazy today. thing about being up three one is they they lost double digit leads in each of the second halves of the last three Nuggets wins and uh, listen because this is an inter a podcast where we highlight and celebrate international basketball it should be pointed out that uh, not only has Jamal Murray been outstanding in this uh, bubble uh, now in the NBA playoffs in the bubble but when Nikola Jokic is being compared to a young Bill Walton, or even more impressively, not that not that Sabonis was better than Bill Walton. Both of these guys were suffered uh, terrible injuries, which kept them from reaching their potential. But when Nikola Jokic is compared to the great Arvidas Sabonis by European basketball cognoscendi, it tells you something. Absolutely, selfishly for us, it's great to be able to have them for another potentially seven games. Well, I'll tell you, you know what? And again, this has been brought up a couple times on our show, and I point this out. One of the things that Jeff Van Gundy said to us a few weeks ago was what he loves about the, the, the international flavor in the NBA, which is no longer just a little flavor. It's now about a fifth or a quarter of the league, is the skill level. And and the skill level that you see from night in, night out from a Jokic or a, or a Jamal Murray or what we saw earlier in Luka Doncic, um, and even the great combination of skill and athleticism from the Greek freak, who's likely to be the MVP, it, it's just breathtaking. And they've, as, as Jeff pointed out, they've made the NBA game better than ever as far as aesthetically. And uh, just this last seven games was just a thrill to watch, um, particularly the three comebacks by the Nuggets. And Chris, I think I told you off the air, the, the Nuggets do as good a job right now at finding international players as anybody. It used to be San Antonio. You know, it started with Ginobili, you know, and then Tony Parker, obviously, and they'd always add the international role players. But what, them, what Tim Connolly and his staff are doing uh, with, with these kids 
you know, um, is, is amazing. It, you know, the way they not only have found the international guys, but if you look at their team, it's a bunch of, you know, uh, castaways. You know, Tory Craig, second uh, undrafted, uh, Monte Morris, um, you know, second round pick. Um, you know, you look at, uh, you, you know, you look at Jokic, a second round pick. Jamal Murray was pretty good. You know, I think he, you know, he went in the lottery, but uh, it's fun to see. Don't you think? Absolutely. This is, this is goes to show how strong international hoops can be and why teams need to be paying attention to international talent. It's gotten better as we've seen on this show, as we've heard on this show. Yeah. Over the last 20 years, international scouting has gotten a lot better, but there's still going to be the times where Luka Doncic doesn't go one overall or I know. Nikola Jokic doesn't go until pick 41. There are going to be those times. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw I saw Jokic play as an 18-year-old. He was on the on the Serbian under-19 World Championship team, and he was just a role player at the time. And he and he had the same, you know, pudgy body that he's had most of his NBA career. Although when he came back into the bubble, he had lost all that weight, and he looks great. But um, to feel for the game that a guy like this guy has is just incredible. And the the one thing, our if our if our listeners don't understand this. Uh, Nikola comes from Serbia, which is part of the former Yugoslavia. And Serbian coaches are very tough, demanding coaches when it comes to the fundamentals. I had a chance to spend some time with his coaches who coached him in at Mega B-Max in the professional league before he was drafted. And uh, and they're good. They're really good guys. And all they talked about is the things they did with him to teach him to play the, with fundamentals and not just being seven feet tall, but the ability to pass and dribble and handle it was something they're really proud of over there. And that's kind of the way they've had this influ- influence, the international guys on our game is uh, high IQ, high skill level. And they're not the only ones doing it. I mean, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, KD, you know, we have a lot of NBA players uh, who are born in America who play the same way. But I think when you meld those styles together and the level of talent and the level of basketball IQ, NBA basketball right now, even though it's in that bubble, I think it's a beautiful game. And the, the effort and the intensity level in the bubble has been fa- fabulous. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've seen a lot of great basketballs, some great individual performances as well. Still thinking back to that uh, first round series, Utah against uh, Denver. Man, when you have Donovan Mitchell balling out against Murray, that was that's, yeah. that's been my highlight of the bubble so far, and I think most people's highlights as well. Well, I'll tell you, and we're already off to a great start in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals because uh, uh, Miami and, Se- and the Celtics went to overtime last night. Jimmy Butler with a huge shot, and then, of course, an incredible block. I know you hate for me to tell you this, but even you were admiring as a Celtic fan. Can't be mad at it. I cannot Bam be mad at it. That was phenomenal. Yeah, one of, one of the great... You know, it's right up there, I think, with LeBron's, LeBron's block in the finals. I think, obviously, LeBron's had more meaning because of, of it turned around the entire, it really it not only turned around a series, it really propelled them to win the uh, world title or the NBA title. But uh, Bam's block will go down in the annals as uh, a memorable moment in Miami Heat history. And I'm expecting knockdown, drag out, uh, series and and I will not be surprised if this series goes seven games because the teams are very evenly matched and we saw that last night no question so um, hey also uh, NBA draft is now locked in for November 18th and so young guys like uh, Nico Mannion 
And um, we'll probably have a couple more uh, NBA draft picks with an international flair coming up before November 18th. So Stay uh, tuned. Stay tuned, exactly. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But for all those young men that, we've, that I've personally talked to, not only during their career, but also most recently on Sirius XM NBA Radio, when Chris Patola and I do our draft shows, those guys have now can see the finish line because uh, November 18th is the special day for them and uh, don't have any details on whether there's going to be a virtual draft. I'm sure it will be, um, and not like we've had in New York, but uh, anxious to see all these kids reach their dreams. And, of course, there will be uh, more than a handful of international kids being drafted in the first and second round this year. So stay tuned to that for that. Now, very special guest today, Mr. Tyler. And uh, I know you more than likely maybe heard Tommy Lloyd's name, but I explained to you a couple different times. Tommy Lloyd is the assistant or associate head coach at Gonzaga. That's right. The Gonzaga Bulldogs, who have been to, I believe, 20-plus straight, I think it's 20 straight NCAA tournaments uh, under Mark Few. It's the, it's the fourth longest streak in NCAA current history. I think Duke and Michigan State are ahead of them, maybe Kansas and, 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 and Gonzaga. And the interesting thing about Gonzaga, if you follow basketball, especially international hoops, is that they have, have far and away been at the forefront of recruiting international players to come over and play college basketball. Now, they had some Aussies back in the 90s and the 80s. Uh, our, John Rilly? John Rilly, my good friend John Rilly, who you know. But more recently, uh, since 2000, they've had players from, you ready for this, outside of the United States, 17 different countries. And Tommy Lloyd explains how it happened, um, what it's like coaching uh, DeMontis Sabonis, or Roni Turiaf, who had a long career in the NBA, uh, who was the pioneer of Gonzaga International Hoops recruiting when Tommy Lloyd convinced Roni Turiaf to come over here. And uh, as I looked at this year's roster uh, and watching some tape actually yesterday of the Zags, as I get ready for college basketball, Chris, um, they have, again, kids from four or five different countries um, that will represent uh, – the, the Zags this year, including Joel Ayayi, who was the WCC uh, most outstanding player in their tournament. And uh, anyway, Tommy Lloyd takes you inside how this incredible renaissance of Gonzaga basketball happened because of uh, the ability to go overseas and get some kids to come to Spokane, Washington, of all places and turn that place into a college basketball power. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Gonzaga associate head coach, Tommy Lloyd. Tom, it's great to have you with us today. Uh, thanks, Fran. It's, it's an honor to be here. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually not a huge podcast guy. I haven't quite caught up to technology yet. But when you said world of basketball, you had me there. Oh yeah, no. I've, I was I told Chris that we had to have you on as we uh, we kind of explore basketball in all you know again from every corner of the world. But your corner is interesting because you've been an NCAA basketball coach all this time, and uh, and Gonzaga's had great success and you've had great players. But um, to use last year as an example, when we talked when I was out there in February, you and I I think we added up that uh, Gonzaga has been home to players 
from about 17 different countries, uh, not, not including the United States. And uh, I think last year you might have had guys from six different countries on your roster. And uh, it has become a niche for you. So I, I guess the first 30,000-foot question is, how did Gonzaga what, – what is it about Gonzaga right now that makes it such a good fit for an international player from Lithuania or, uh, you know, uh, Serbia or Australia? What, what has been the magic on campus? I mean, I think the magic now, I mean, I would say if we're talking now, is we have lots of experience with it. And then we have a proven track record. And it's something that we're very comfortable prioritizing. And, um, you know, I, I think once the, the kids get here, you know, I think we can deliver a, a great experience. But, you know, if you take it back a step, you know, kind of how it started, um, you know, I was a young, you know, assistant and, you know, Coach Fuse started out as a head coach and had been here for an assistant for 10 years or so. And, you know, he just told me, you know, you know, hey, you know, you got you got to develop like a recruiting niche, you know, because I was into working out players and doing all this stuff, you know, which is, I mean, I, I think equally at, or more important, you know, that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're not recruiting as an assistant coach, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough go to, to make it in this business. And it's going to be a tough go for your your school to be successful. So, you know, um, I had already kind of really taken a liking to international basketball and, and Fuey kind of, you know, helped push me in that direction. You know, I remember still I, I, I must have it somewhere, but I remember he threw like, a, I don't know, 2000 or 1999. German U18 to have like a little media guy. And I remember, I still remember some of the names and I had that thing. I had notes on all those kids and that I was calling. And this is back in the day where you, you had a calling card, you know, and in these calling card, you push in 87 numbers. And then, you know, I remember, uh, you know, coach few gave me a calling card, the young assistant, I have a calling card and, you know, up all hours of the night with the time differences and, and, you know, I don't know, a couple months into it, he called me into his office and he said, hey, um, did, did something happen to that calling card? Did you get lost or stolen? Or <laughs> I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, there's like $2,000 worth of charges. <laughs> I said, no, I've been calling people. So, yeah. so I mean, I, I think you just, you know, really took to it and started calling people, developing relationships and, um, you know, it, it's been an awesome journey. I mean, for, for me, it's, you know, combined, you know, two of my biggest passions in life are, you know, traveling and meeting people and, and experiencing different cultures and basketball. So yeah. for me, it, it's really been a great synergy and uh, I couldn't imagine doing anything different. You know, we're going to get into that because you had some experience traveling the world before you settled in at Gonzaga. But one of the things always in intrigued me, because we've had these conversations uh, about international basketball. I went to the Albert Schweitzer games in 1989 when I was at Providence. And I was there with Dave Odom and one other coach, and nobody else was there. And you had that same experience even as going back to 2000. But given that you just – you Gonzaga in 2000 was – not what Gonzaga is today. You guys are nearly a blue blood, you know. You're you're right on the cusp of Carolina, Duke, and, and Kentucky um, every year. But back then, even you, even your athletic department, when you started to travel overseas, did anybody ever give you any pushback? Like, man, this ticket to uh, Montenegro is like two grand. I mean, did you have to kind of negotiate? 
because you were trying to create a niche and some people's niche would be, I'm going to go to Texas and recruit, Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. How no, did no. You, how did, for sure. How'd you I mean, negotiate that? Well, that, that, as far as those negotiations are real easy, <laughs> uh, coach few is like, you do whatever you need to do and <laughs> invested in supporting you. And, you know, uh, you know, I, I remember sometimes being over so long, he told me to say, it's probably time to come back. <laughs> you know, you're wow. young, you don't have any kids and, you know, and stuff like that. But, but for us, it was, uh, I think it was important, you know, Eastern Washington and Spokane is a great place to live and a great place to raise your family. And, and I love it here and consider it home, but definitely not a hotbed of high division one basketball talent, but, but it's a basketball area. I mean, people got great high school coaches. I mean, kids play with fundamentals, probably a little bit, reminds me a little bit of back old school, Indiana, you know, that type of stuff. It, but, but we just didn't have the, the athletes or the size. And so, you know, we had to, to be different. We had to think different. And so we had to find some recruiting niches and we had to fish in waters that weren't oversaturated and um, with, with other fishermen. So basically, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I kind of was able to kind of get in there early and, and really all in, invest in it and, 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 and develop some relationships and get trust, you know, People that goes both ways, you know, they trusted me, I trusted them. And, and, you know, it just, it's been a, it's been a great thing. And one thing's kind of led to another. And um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I, it was definitely a, a commitment, you know, that, that we made on our end at Gonzaga to, to try to, you know, be good in this area. So you, you got lucky in the sense that uh, you signed Mario Kassoon first uh, and then later that year, Roni Turiaf. Ma- Mario never played because he was ruled, I think, a, a pro, right? Or yeah, that, that was, you know, and in, in, in the NCAA has come so far for understanding of international basketball. And back in the day, I mean, you know, there's kids that were getting penalized. You know, they wouldn't have a contract, but, you know, they'd have an American guy on their team making 800 bucks a month. And, you know, so, so they really evolved. And, you know, back in the day, I mean, I remember that, you know, Mario was kind of one of the kids you know, around 2000. And um, I mean, I remember Louisville had a kid, like it's like Muhammad Lasage or something like that. Something like that. And those two kids are kind of the ones that were, you know, this amateurism stuff was going down that, you know, kind of fell on the sword for a lot of others. And, um, and, and unfortunately Mario never got to play here, but he was an awesome talent. And it was a, it was an awesome experience having him here. And he went on to have a, you know, a, a nice long, played the NBA for a little bit and, and international career. Um, but yeah, but Roni was kind of the first, you know, big one. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Tell me about that. Cause Roni to me, when I look, when I look at your program because of who he was, not just a great player, but his personality uh, you know, he's a Caribbean kid, but he's French. But to me, when I think of Gonzaga basketball, like, and I think of you guys an international, like Roni was like almost a Pied Piper. So yeah. how, how did that happen? And here's a kid that gets off the plane in Spokane and says to you, Coach Lloyd, can I trust you? Mm-hmm. He's in Eastern Washington after growing up in the Caribbean. That's a little bit of a change of pace, my man. Yeah, no. Look, I mean, there's there's lots of great stories, and you're, and you're it's, it's great you're reminding me of these because I'm not. You, you know, friend, when you're in this day to day coaching business, you're not great at reminiscing. You know, it's always now or next. You know, that's what you're thinking. And so you need people to kind of help remind you. So I appreciate you pulling some of these thoughts to the forefront for me. Um, well, Roni, you know, played in the, man, I think it was the 2000, 
European Championships in Zadar. And it was a great tournament. I mean, even, you know, my good friend, uh, Ricardo Foyce, you know, who is with us and now with the Suns, we look back at some of the names in these tournaments sometimes. And, and I think we've kind of settled in. That might have been the best under-18 European Championship. Um, and, uh, and, and the French team won it, you know, with Tony Parker, Boris Diaw, Michael Pietrus. I mean, um, they, had, they had a great team. And then Roni was a year younger and kind of this, this ball of energy and well, had the hair going. And and, at the, and, and, and in the tournament, he didn't score a ton of points, but he had one memorable moment. He, he, he shattered a backboard in a game, you know, I mean, in, in the, right in the arena and Zadar there, he dunked it and then like, you know, and he dunked it and the backboard was probably so old, you know, how some of those European backboards are. He dunked it and slapped it and on the slap, shattered. And, um, and, and I had, uh, ended up getting like the VHS tape of it and come back, and, you know, pull Coach Few into Billy Greer's office or something like, hey, you need to watch this one. He, he, so he saw one clip and, and we showed him the one of, of you know, fast forward, rewind. You remember those days, Frank? Yeah. Rewind, yeah. Right there. And, show <laughs> and, 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 and Rony breaks the backboard. And all he said is like, yeah, yeah, that's great. We need guys that can break the backboard. <laughs> so wow, we were on it hard. And then, you know, and then, then Rony's personality is something special. I and mean, he's just, he's a very thoughtful caring guy, you know, carries his emotions on his sleeve. And, and he, you know, he's very, very, very intelligent. And, and he, he was on this experience. He was kind of guiding himself through it. And, and it was a big feeling like, who could he trust? And, you know, and I had been in touch with him and, and, you know, had some conversations and, you know, I don't know how many times, you know, he probably wasn't the greatest picking up the phone, but so I'm persistently calling him and he picked it up enough and, you know, developed maybe a relationship with a person at INSEP or two to kind of help out. And, and, and he did, he did, um, he, when he came, you know, to Gonzaga, he did ask me that, right. When he got off the plane, like, you know, cause he had visited a couple other schools and he just said, you know, Tommy, this is the first time we're meeting like face to face. He's like, I trust you. And I'm like, of course. And, and, and we had a great visit. And, 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 and he, the story he always tells is, you know, the moment he knew it was Gonzaga, you know, I think he had a good feeling initially about Gonzaga, but the moment he knew, he and I were like in the, um, I don't know, the bottom of the student union, uh, the Crosby Center, you know, the Bing Crosby Center, at the bottom there way back in the day, and started playing ping pong. And, you know, and, and he's not bad. And I'm, I'm okay. And I know, I mean, he's beating me. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not going to lose to this kid here. And he hits a shot. And, and, uh, and I dove, put it back on the table, won the point, had blood on my knee. And he was like, at that moment, he's like, all right, this place is different. I'm, I'm coming to Gonzaga. That's cool. How, how come, how come a guy like that? We know back 20 years ago, even it's not that long ago where it would be hard to get a French or a Spanish or Italian kid because they were turning pro. Yeah. Um, why did he decide that? Cause he could have turned pro and played pro oh. A. For sure. Why, why did he decide he wanted to come to the United States and go to college? Was there something in his family background? Or that's a great question. You know, I, I um, you know, I just remember talking to his dad a few times, and and I think it just, you know, Roni's just one of these kids that just, you know, the way he was kind of raised by his parents had a real worldly perspective, and um, and and wanted to do something different. You know, I mean, that would be a that would be an awesome question for you to get him on this podcast and ask, you know, why why because you know he did kind of 
you know, open the door for a lot of other kids. But to this day, I mean, when, when, when French players are talking about, you know, their decision to go to the States or stay, Roni's an example of a guy they use and call. And, and he tells him his experience and, you know, he'll tell you it's not for everybody, but for him, it was the right thing. Yeah. I mean, he, he became a Pied Piper, not only in recent years for the French kids that knew who he was from, for those who are listening, INSEP is the sports academy in France, much like AIS in Australia, Center for Excellence, I think they call it now. So you, I, I guess I'm, I'm going to jump ahead and we'll jump back. But one of the things that we, we mentioned this at the very beginning there's definitely a comfort level now with international kids for obvious reasons. But what's the common thread when you look back? Not everybody's exactly the same personality, but what's the common thread for why these kids have found such a home, you know, at Gonzaga? Well, I mean, I think for one, I mean, the, the community of Gonzaga in Spokane is all in on supporting these kids. And, and, and a question I get asked a lot, like, you know, just whatever at the, at a restaurant or you know, walk through the grocery store to some, you know, some, you know, a random Gonzaga fan will always ask me, hey, who's the next great international guy? Who do we need to keep our eyes for? So, so they're already waiting for the next one, you know? Right. <laughs> so when they come here, they're, you know, they're fully embraced from day one. I don't, I don't think they're ever looked at as a, like a throw in on our roster. Like, Oh, I guess they had some foreign kids from such as, I mean, our fans know about and embrace them. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, so, so I think there, there's that. And, and, and I think for the, the players, I, I think there's a, when they're making a decision as big, I think there's a real comfort level where they can look at examples of other guys that are basically have done what they're about to do. And we can show them, you know, Hey, we're not just talking about what we're going to do. You know, here's examples of, you know, how other guys have made it here and here's their whatever testimonials and, and, um, and, and, and things like that. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of times, you know, and Fran, you know, this in recruiting, I mean, you, you need, you need things to verify, you know, what you're selling for lack of a better word, you know? And so, so these former players and, and people that know these former players and say, Oh yeah, that kid had a great experience there. I mean, it's invaluable. And so, so I just, those guys come in here with a certain comfort level. And, and one of the things that I love about international guys is, um, is they're brought up in basketball different than most kids in the U.S. I mean, they're brought up to where when you're, when you're getting 15, 16 and pretty good, you start playing with older guys. These older guys don't let you come and just be the best player on the team. I mean, they're on you for not doing the role player thing. And, you know, for blocking out, for screening, why are you shooting that shot? You know, so so I, I just think those kids come in just with a, a different experience and maybe a different level of respect for team basketball. And, and it's, it's kind of more ingrained at them. And I think the, the, these international kids do a great job with your uh, kind of helping you foster a great culture and team environment. Yeah, you've always had guys that have waited their turn, even though even if they were great players. There's, it seems to me there's always been a, a really good player ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, Kelly Olenek's a perfect example. I mean, we talked about this in February. He was going to transfer yeah. because you had so much depth up front, and he decided to redshirt, and obviously the rest is history. But it also took a lot on his part to to check his ego at the door and say, I'm going to wait my turn. A hundred percent. I mean, and, and, and you're talking about, you know, a sacrifice not many people are – willing to make 
Uh, yeah. so, and, um, and, 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 and we're experiencing it now. I mean, we basically have a similar experience going with uh, Andrew Nimhart, you know, who's a good player, you know, who had success at Florida, but a Canadian, Canadian, Canadian. you know, yep. and, and um, you know, maybe wanted to try something different, you know, to, to finish off his college basketball experience. And we're fortunate enough to be the recipient of that. But now, I mean, as with Kelly and as with a kid like Andrew, now you have a huge responsibility to deliver and, and, and then make sure that, you know, that they're getting out of their Gonzaga experience, what they want for the future, you know, as opposed to Gonzaga just, you know, rolling out there and winning a few more games, you know, because it, it is a, to me, it's an awesome sacrifice when guys are willing to do that. It shows how bad they really want it um, because it's not easy. It, it, you know, the easy thing is just to roll it out there and say, Hey, I want to play right away. But I think a lot of times when kids do that, I mean, maybe there's a little change and a little difference, but it's, it's hard to make substantial change. And is that something to do with that red shirt year? I don't know. And, I, and I'm, I'm a worried that red shirt year might be going by the wayside. Um, right, exactly. With the be the ability to transfer mm -hmm. at will mm -hmm. coming up, um, let me let me ask you. Go back twenty years. One one of my experiences has always been <clears throat> when I first started traveling overseas. Um, you know, we they they all loved the NBA, but they did. But the the European coaches and and people that were connected to the players weren't always in love with. Americans like mm -hmm. you know like hey what do you you know how you're going to come steal our players from us for sure so when you went over there and you were really one of the pioneers mm -hmm. uh, and obviously the success is um, you know is obvious how did you develop a trust with the coaches and the basketball people over there that because at that time even American basketball was not great like Allen Iverson era mm -hmm. you know a lot of one on one isolation ball and i know when i went over my coaching friends would say man you guys you guys play so stupid i hate the way yeah. you play and that that's obviously changed a lot but when you went over there at first how did you develop friendships and relationships that kind of stood the test of time well for for one you're right i mean friendship is a huge word there you know, I mean, develop a genuine friendship and, and trust. And then, and I think being honest, like, hey, you know, coming over here and doing this isn't the right thing for everybody, you know, and, and for, for some kids it is right. And, and on the other thing, I always tell these people, I mean, just because you want to come to the States doesn't mean that every school is a great opportunity for you. I mean, there's some schools that are going to be a way better experience than others. And, and this kind of, you know, being honest with about those situations and, and, and understanding also that, you know what, hey, some some of these deals, you're, you're not going to be able to get this guy to change his mind. You know, I mean, if he has, you know, if he wants to protect his, you know, whatever attachment to this player and, and part of protecting that is not letting him come to the States, well, you're not going to win all those. So, you know, I mean, to, to me, it was just, it was never a, a strategy or a big sales pitch. It was just about genuine relationships, understanding you know, having a good understanding that I'm not going to win every one, you know, but, but it's just important that I try to win enough of them and win the right ones, um, you know, for, for Gonzaga. And that, that's how I always looked at it. If you had to guess, uh, how, how many countries do you think you've traveled to? Oh I mean, just my God. not, you don't have to be exact. Oh, I'm sure I'm over 50, you know, yeah. I, mean, I mean, most of Europe, you know, I've been yeah. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, you know, I got a great story about Zimbabwe because I kind of had to start racking my brain on some stories here. <laughs> I spent six weeks in Zimbabwe before I came to Gonzaga. 
Yeah. Oh, really? My wife and I did an around the world. Oh, that's. I was going to ask you about that. You traveled the world after yeah. you were done playing. We, we backpacked. Yeah, and I was a local, I mean, semi-pro guy. And, you know, my I made a little money. My wife made a little money nannying, and then we we saved it all. We just put on our backpacks and traveled the world. And um, and uh, and so I'm in Zimbabwe because I had a uh, when I went I went to one year to University of Southern Colorado. It's where I met my wife in Denham. So, and there was a golfer. Uh, on the team, um, you know, a, a kid, a guy from Zimbabwe. His family were expats. So, um, so basically, we, him and I, you know, Darren Thompson's his name. We 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 had we had a great friendship, and uh, and there was actually a Swedish guy who kind of ran with us too, and um, and so when we were going through Africa, we, we went to we were in Egypt, and we went down and spent like six weeks in Zimbabwe, just randomly. There was, uh, you know, I'm probably 21, 22 at the time. There's, and not in coaching or anything, but there's a, I don't know, some sort of regional African championship play there in Harare. So I go, I'm just going to every day down there watching it. Literally, you can imagine how many fans were there. None, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Angola against Mozambique play, you know, like, so I'm right. down there. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm talking to the coaches, intermixing in that and, and I, man, I wish I remember his name. There was an old, the Angola national team coach was from Portugal. Uh, yes. They actually speak Portuguese in Angola, you know? Yes, that's how it is, yeah. So, so um, and then I saw there, and I, and I remember, you know, when I came to Gonzaga, I, I told, you know, I don't know if it was, you know, Munson or Fui, you know, hey, there's a kid down there. It's pretty good. Uh, I think Joaquin Gomez. Yeah, right? yeah. He ended up going to yeah. Alpo and having a good career. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so I remember, and I was talking to the coach and this and that, and getting the kids information. And, and um, yeah, I mean, this, it, it was awesome. So this, this shows me that, hey, I guess my mind was always kind of going that direction, you know? And Yeah. So the experience of you traveling, first of all, playing in a couple of places and traveling the world with your wife opened up your eyes to like, hey, you know what? We might be able to get some guys. Yeah. And, and I think just the, I mean, there was a certain comfort with, you know, um, having traveled a lot and liking to travel, being able to connect with people and different cultures. I mean, people always ask me if I speak uh, another language and I tell them, well, the, my second language is broken English. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, you know, my joke, I think I've told you this, my European friends say, if you know three languages, you're trilingual. If you know two languages, you're bilingual. Yeah. If you know one language, you're American. Yeah, that's that's a great one right there. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But uh, all right, well, let me let me ask you about certain guys because um, you you guys have had some great players, NBA players. Now now recently, all stars. So Doma Sabonis, the son of the great Arvita Sabonis. Yeah. Who, by the way, as you know, but listeners may not know, was born in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. uh, but you you had a unique recruiting experience because he could have. I remember when he was playing in the ACB, he easily could have stayed in Europe and been a pro. And you had to actually out-recruit EuroLeague teams in order to get a kid like that to come back to the States. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, the experience of his dad coming to Portland later in his career, what was the, what was the thought process of the family between deciding on going to Gonzaga and turning pro – which would have been a normal decision for a kid who was that good. Yeah, well, so so Domus was born in Portland. So you know, another little known fact, he's an American citizen. He's a U.S. Patriot. 
Um, then, you know, when, when dad retires, they moved to Malaga. And, and so he was raised in Malaga. And so he basically grew up playing in all the youth teams of Unakaha Malaga. And, you know, eventually gets up to the point where he's, you know, he's getting pretty good. So they kind of put him, you know, at the end of the roster, like a lot of those EuroLeague teams do a young kid, you know, and, and, he, and he's playing minutes here and there. But, you know, the first time I went over in, in to Malaga to, to meet with Domas and his brother, Tutti, you know, who's now uh, assistant coach at Jalgris. And wow. Okay. So, nice. so he's back. first time I, I, I would go meet with them, um, I knew he was coming. And you see the look in his eyes because he was, you know, Domus is an awesome dude, super smart, but 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 simple, you know, not a complicated person. You could just see the body language, his interest was high. And and I think just for him, the um the opportunity to come in America, a place he was born that he left when he was young, was really exciting for him. And uh and uh and 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 I think his brother, you know, Tootie had a, a big influence on it because Tootie um you know, what, what wasn't as good a player as Domus, but was a pretty good player. You know, he went to a lot of Division One schools, and he never did. He played in Spain, and, and I think, you know, in my conversations with Tootie, you know, he's, I think that's, you know, a small regret he has. I mean, whatever, it's, it's moved on. But, like, and he, so I think he really encouraged Domus, like, hey, I regretted not doing it. You should do it. And, um, and those two are really, really close. And, and, and so I, I think that really got his interest going there. And then, you know, Arvidas is great. You know, I honestly, I never dealt with him one time in the recruiting process. Now I've met him since then and become a friend, but um, in, in the recruiting process, you know, his deal was, you know, there was a great article that, I, that Luke Wynn, you know, who now is going to be an NBA GM soon. You know, he was right. It was a great writer for sports illustrated. He did a, a great article kind of on Arvidas Sabonis and then how, LSU was recruiting him and all this stuff, but he wasn't able to come because, uh, because uh, you know, the, the, the Soviet Union stuff. And, um, you know, I think so Arvidas, the, the, you know, what he took is, you know, he's been through a lot of different experiences in his life and he wasn't always able to make his own choices. So he wanted his kids to be able to make their own choices. And, and that, that kind of what his dad, you know, all those people, those Lithuanians had fought for, you know, for their freedom. So he let Domus make his own decision. Now I'm not saying he felt great about it because there's been a lot of examples and you, you not, you and I could probably, you know, if we had a little time and a list of names of Lithuanian guys that have come up, been good players come over to the U S and I had great experiences. That's right. And, and by the way, the Lithuanian coaches mock the American coaches when these kids come over and yeah. they don't play well. And then they go back to Europe and they end up being really good players. Yeah. So there was there was there was that cynicism, right? For sure. For sure. And they're, they're trying to they they got a ton of pride and they should. And they're trying to protect their, you know, basketball cocoon a little bit. And um and so Domus, yeah, so so I, I as knew right away, you know, I, I thought, okay, we got a great shot at this guy, and he just and, and what a special person and special player and 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 he's on it, he's helped, you know, probably been, you know after Roni kind of in that next little Pied Piper, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, when you can say in recruiting or whatever, well, if Arvita Sabonis let his son come to Gonzaga, you know, and, and that might not mean anything in the U S but when you say that to somebody in Europe, I mean, like, 
Oh, yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. yeah, that's powerful. And that reminded me, as you were telling the story, that you didn't know Arvidas really well, but uh, I, you told me in February that you did celebrate a little bit at the All-Star oh, game with yeah, the family. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, we, and we know Lithuanians know how to celebrate. For sure. Yeah. No but, question. But uh, probably the, the, the most fun celebrate that I had with them is I was over, I mean, it must be, what, six or seven years now, and they in Lille, France, they lost in the final – Yes. To uh, to Spain, you know. Yes, I remember that. Pretty bad. But, up, in nor- up in northeast France. No yeah, in northeast France, yeah. that dome up there. But they yeah. qualified um, for the Olympics but by taking second. And, and, and so and I think, you know, that night, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of tag along to the to the team celebration. And, you know, obviously, Arvidas was pretty proud because, you know, he's Mr. Lithuania. And, and, and he, he had told me that night that, you know, at that time, there had been seven Olympic Games since um, uh, Lithuania gained its independence from the Soviet Union. And they had seven qualifying for the Olympics, which as an American, we take for granted. But only 12 teams qualify for the Olympics. It's really, really hard to do. And Australians take it for granted. You know, but European countries, it's really, really hard to do. So, I mean, he... he well, t- well, Tommy, tell people how many people live in Lithuania. I think three million. Yeah, three million. Yeah. And, yeah so and, that's like the size of uh, Rhode Island. Not Rhode Island. That's But New Hampshire or uh, Delaware. And, and yeah, for sure. So so making it seven out of seven times was something that, you know, he had told me he was extremely proud of. And, you know, just being at the game, you know, um, it's so funny, you know, I mean, whatever we think, you know. Americans, patriotism, all this stuff, you know, and we could get into a hundred different conversations going, going to, but I sat next to Arvidas when they did the Lithuanian national anthem of the game. I've never seen goosebumps like that on the size of his arms from him. The pride he had before that game in Lithuania, like, I mean, it was like, you know, it almost makes you emotional thinking about like caring about where you're from so much. And, um, it was pretty awesome. I mean, and, and for me, you know, growing up, I mean, I grew up 45 minutes outside of Portland and watched Arvidas play when he was a Blazer. And, you know, you always hear about this name after he got drafted in 86 and he doesn't come till the 90s. Yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. It's really been cool to get to know the family. And, and the coolest thing about the family is they're absolutely normal. The kids are awesome. The parents are cool. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those ones when you – when you finally meet them, they don't disappoint, you know? Yeah. Right, yeah. Cool. Arvidas, Arvidas uh, barring injuries, was one of the top five players to ever play basketball. Yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah. I, I, mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think anytime you tell somebody to Google the pre-injury stuff, or even the stuff in the NBA, you know, he's 31 in the NBA, I mean, and, and still was really good. So, um, yeah, definitely impressive. And, and, and I know it's a huge motivating thing for Domus, you know, you ask, different people, what motivates him for him, you know, there's no pressure with that name on the back of his shirt for him, for him. It, it's about making that name proud, you know? And, right. and, and so that's how he approaches every day. And, um, you know, it, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, let's go, let's go to another side of the world. Cause in 2014, you were over at the, uh, under 17 world championships in Dubai and you saw a kid from Japan play. Yep. Rui Hachimura. 2014. Who, uh, wow. Speaking of English. Yeah. Speaking Ooh. of English, he didn't really know much. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
talk talk about the uh the the whole recruitment of Rui and 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 the and the adjustment I remember seeing you guys when he was a freshman and uh he I think you I think you or Mark coach few told me that before he learned basketball he had to learn America cuz he was so you know I mean he was so uh, you know from a completely different culture that he didn't really get so now and now he's going to he's on his way to being a very good NBA player so tell me about the Rui story how the heck did you get a kid from Japan so Ricky Ricardo Foyce is, is working with us in the office, you know, and uh, doing a bunch of analytics stuff. And he's always following international basketball. And him and I are always going back and forth. And you know, he so just you know, we we he, he you know we find this kid from Japan who played a good under seventeen. I think he led it in scoring. Percentages weren't great, but he led it in scoring. So yeah, and then you know you you kind of watch him, and he, and he and he moves different, and he looks different. There's never I've never seen a player like this from Asia, obviously. So, so we get back, we're kind of, I get back, we're kind of talking about it. And, um, and, and Ricky, um, you know, he says, Hey, I mean, years ago I was at a EuroLeague final four and like London or something, you know? And he's like, you know, this networking, I met a guy from Japan and cause we had no contacts in Japan, you know, at the time. so we didn't even know where to start. And, um, and so he, he, what he did, and you know, when you, the funny thing, you met Japanese people. I mean, literally, if you go to Japan and you don't have business cards, I mean, it's, they're almost like offended, you know, like, so, so they, they hand out business cards like crazy. So, so he says, he hands Ricky a business card. Ricky keeps it, puts it in his pocket. And then like, he says, I think I had that card. Somewhere. So he goes back in the car, he looks for it, comes back an hour later. And he's like, I found it. And it was like, this guy was an official, a referee that was probably there. FIBA deal doing a training or something, you know, around all those FIBA events that was have a coaching clinic and an officials clinic like that. So, so, uh, so we emailed, I emailed the guy and, and then he was like, Hey, Oh, of course I've heard of the kid. Um, he plays at this high school. Here's contact for like, the I don't know, the trainer, the, you know, the, the guy, the physical trainer, a guy that's become a good friend of mine now named Yosuke and, and Yosuke, um, actually was a, like studied at Indiana state of all places. So he's like the trainer. So Rui goes to this good sports kind of slash basketball high school called Mesa high school. And, um, in Sendai and, 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 and that's, and that's, you know, and, and, and Rui's actually from Toyama. So he goes there. So let and, me ask you, is any college team recruiting this guy yet? Or did you just have this connection? No, I mean, I, I, no, I, I, I mean, so, so I'll, I'll get, get two seconds here. I'll get yeah, to how yeah. I know one other team was for sure. Maybe a couple. Um, but anyway, so we get in touch with them and we say, hey, we're interested. We want to learn more. And, and, and his school is like, they're fully invested in Rui. And, and you know, he's, he's a talent. They know they've never had in Japan. And, and we're just finding this out. So they basically send Rui and his translator to the U.S. like to take uno- two unofficial visits. Gonzaga and Arizona. They came and looked at both places and met them and then, and then went back. And you, you could just see when this kid came, the joy he had. He smiled. He was happy. He didn't speak much English. He was happy. And then, um, and then so he goes back and then, uh, and then we continue to recruit him, you know, sporadically. And it's just timing and, and a little bit getting lucky is always important with everything. So, we bring Rui back over for an official visit with his mom and the school sends the translator 
in uh, October. Uh, so, th- so that would unofficially be like April. So he comes in October, and then you know we're like, hey, I said to Fuey, like, hey, you know, for our last scholarship, I think this kid's you know a, a worthwhile project. He's got a ton of potential, and you know, you just had a good feeling about him as a person. And 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 Rui was really really motivated to come to the U.S. Was taking extra English classes, was you know studying for the SAT, doing all that stuff, like putting in this crazy amount of effort. Well, that's the year frame we played in Okinawa. We played in one of those armed service deals. I don't know, were um, you there? No, no, no. Was that okay. was that was the floor wet that day or no? That was the one that got canceled at halftime. Yeah, because the yeah. floor was uh, moist and you guys were working. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It was a crazy game. Yeah. So so that that's that so what's that? The first week of November or something? Yep. I mean or, or yeah, early. Yep. Yeah. Well then so right after that I go to uh or maybe the second week, I don't know whatever it was, but I, I go to to Rui's high school and you know everybody and um and and basically at that point we're like hey you know what if you you know we, we brought you on a visit and we want you and, and we're gonna and it's gonna be a complicated process and we're willing to go through it step by step with you guys and help you um but you know you, you got to take the offer so i don't know if the offer will be there in april and so you know they took the offer and um and, and it was great and i now i remember at that uh on that home visit, basically. So they, we, we met at a restaurant, you know, and, um, and, and I just remember we go downstairs in this little room. It's like, you know, you know, Rui's mom, Rui's dad, Rui, and, you know, like, you know, five or six, you know, Japanese guys in suits. And then these guys are literally diligently taking notes during everything we're meeting about. And I just remember I, I'm, I'm jet lagged and, you know, go through the whole thing. And, and I remember I was just, you know, it's one of those crazy, you know, international stories. You just laugh about at times. But, you know, at that time, I wasn't very experienced eating with chopsticks. But, of course, this is a full-on, you know, Japanese meal here. And, and I made it through the whole meal eating with chopsticks. And I, I'm sure I probably felt like I looked good. I'm probably sure they probably feel like, oh, my God, I've eaten before. <laughs> I made it through the whole meal. And, uh, yeah, I think back to that, like, I was so proud of myself. You know? <laughs> oh, that's cool. Hey, how big? Tell people how big a star he is in Japan right now. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, we've been over there a couple times with him. Um, you know, my wife and I is our twentieth anniversary. You know, we took a trip. We went to Tokyo. We went to Taipei, and, um, and so we spent some time with Rui. This is like maybe after his freshman year. And honestly, I remember, you know, we're we're in uh, Shibuya which is like Times Square, you know, subways everywhere. It's where you see that crazy crosswalk there. And um, walking with Rui, you know, and then he's turning some heads, but nothing crazy. And I just remember my wife and I talking later that night, like, man, this might be the last year of his life he's able to do this. And fast forward, um, Rui's third year with us, you know, he goes, he gets drafted by Washington. Um, I go over. And um, I'm doing coaching clinics for um, Japanese basketball, you know, kind of just helping them with some clinics and stuff. So I take my whole family, um, you know, and my, my in-laws from uh, from Colorado Springs come, you know, my sister on their kids. And so we have this great time. We're just, you know, hanging out in Tokyo and I'm doing clinics during the day. And Rui has been drafted now and is, is, is with the national team preparing to play for the the last world championships in China and, and, and Rui couldn't even at that point, couldn't even leave his hotel. 
I mean, we, we got to his hotel cause we went to spend a few days with him, And, um, and like, he couldn't, he was, he didn't want to go to restaurants, you know, and there were, there was people waiting outside of the hotel at one in the morning just to get, get a picture of him. So, I mean, he really has, he is like, uh, you know, he, he really enjoys being in the U S because here it's a little more normal than there, but, um, Definitely, it's a, it's definitely a craze, and you know, at every Gonzaga game, even go back to his freshman year. I mean, at the end of the game, even when he wasn't playing, he'd have more people interviewing him, you know, Japanese reporters. Roger Williams Goss was, and maybe he was the star of the game. Right. You know, I saw so, that last year. Really, yeah, yeah. It, he's really handled it with a ton of a maturity and grace, and uh, you know, I'm proud of him for that. Given that we're hoping that uh, we're all hoping that we have a, uh, a basketball season, and we know it's not going to be normal, but we're hopefully we have one. Is there a guy that's on your roster now that's made some strides over the last year that people don't know about yet? International kid, international kid. Well, I mean, obviously, Umar Balo is a big name in the international scene who had to redshirt here last year. You know, he's made progress, definitely, he's come a long way. Um, I'm ex- excited to see how it translates. You know, he still has some work to go. I think consistent performer, um, but you know, we're definitely in, in, in the middle of making that gain. Uh, but yeah, but so, but, but I'm excited to see kind of where he is at the end of this year. You know, and then, and then we have a Russian kid, you know, Pavel Zakharov, who's kind of in the same boat, you know, and uh, those kids, you know, in, in my mind, I'm kind of looking at like this is their freshman year. You know I mean, you know, they both kind of had a lot to build up foundationally. You know, to point where now, I, in my mind, I'm saying they're a freshman. You know, I mean, Coach Few's probably not thinking that, but I'm freshman this year. Um, so well, yeah, I remember I'm when Mar- when Mark I remember when Mark told me, Joel, oh, he'll never play here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Yeah something to be said for that and so like for my deal on that that kid gets a ton of credit you know and you know i, I know you know i mean and, 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 and hey the, the beautiful thing about coach few you know co- head coaches will say crazy things sometime and make these proclamations but you know the, what the great head coaches do they 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 for, forget real quick they said that the moment that kid's ready to <laughs> and, exactly. and, 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 and 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 i know at the end of the year I just know this. He was the MVP of our conference tournament. Not that we didn't have other guys play well, but we kind of had two hard-fought games, and and he kind of had the ball in his hands and closed out each game. So that's you know, pretty good. Yeah, you what Coach right. you thinks of him now. Yeah, a couple couple last things. Uh, what's the weirdest thing you've eaten uh, as you traveled the world, and you had to kind of, you know, obviously you got to ingratiate yourself with the local host. What's something that you ate that you had to just hold oh, your nose man. and swallow it? Um, I think once I was like in, uh, Eastern Europe and, uh, and they basically had like bacon fat, you put a little salt on it and then basically took a, a shot of like rakia, which is, I don't know if it's like, the, it's, it's, it's a version of brandy or whiskey or something right down in like the Slavic countries and just like, oh my goodness, you know, eyes watering, um, that <laughs> feel, um, no, yeah, but no, but I do enjoy that. I enjoy trying all the different things and the different cultures. It's definitely a ton of fun. Well, they they know how to party there, so there's probably some alcohol that you've tried that was pretty oh, pretty good around sure. the world. For sure, I, you don't you don't know you don't know where some of it's made. It might be in a bathtub. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but for sure. 
hardest place to get to, like if you could think back and say, like maybe travel problem and it took you, you know, okay. two days or something like that or get home. Well, I, got, I got a couple of those stories. Yeah. So first, I'm going to see Shiv Karnowski, you know, who, you know, is, is one of our most important international guys of all time. No doubt. No doubt. Great he career. Yeah. College basketball. I mean, it just, you talk about a guy who tiny and maybe injuries a little bit of, you know, I mean, if this guy's 10, 20 years early, he's uh, plays in the NBA for 15 years, you know, and just, 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 there's just not guys that big anymore. But I take him on my team every day. And uh, so, anyways, I'm going to see him in, in Tarn. He's playing uh, on a club in Tarnovzig, Poland. You know, he's from Torin. So down at Tarnovzig, it's kind of down south a little bit. And I'm driving there and kind of following the map on my phone. And, and the next thing I know, I kind of, pull up to this dike and then there's a river there and I'm like, well, okay, how am I going to get across this river? Like they, they, they led me here and there's no bridge. And basically the next thing I know, I mean, you, know, you look out there, there's a boat and with a, a cable going across and, and a guy is like shimmying with his hands, this basically hand run ferry. And he comes over and he, and he shimmies over this little ferry with his hand, no motor. And, pulls up and kind of docks it. I pull my car on, gave him, I don't know, five bucks or something. And then he, then he starts pulling the cable with his hands and he shimmies me across the the river. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is like 2000. I don't know, 12, 15, 14. I don't know what, I'm like, this is crazy. Uh, so that was one that sticks out. But the, the craziest one was, I mean, I don't know the exact year, but the, the I, I remember the incident, the Icelandic volcano basically, on air travel almost across the world. So I'm literally en route to land in Paris when the volcano happens. I remember the captain saying, oh, hey, I guess there's been a volcano in Iceland, so we kind of got to go around it here a little bit. So, it's, you know, we're going to be an hour delayed or something. Okay, whatever. Then I land, and it's like chaos. And, and I remember going to the Avis counter, and I would made a reservation for a car, and there's these – like three Norwegian businessmen, like literally haggling with the worker, like, no, 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 no. We'll give you 2,000 euros to rent a car. She's like, I don't have any. No, no, we'll give you 2,500 to rent a car. Because I didn't know at the time, all air travel had basically been shut down. Right. So, right. Uh, so they, they were just trying to get back home. They were going to drive, you know? Well, let me, let me interrupt you because most people don't know that most European, most flights from the States to, the, to Europe go north and mm -hmm. travel over Iceland. Yeah. And so when you have a volcano, it disrupts everything. Yeah, yeah for sure. No yeah, doubt. All right. Go ahead. I want so, to hear the end of this. So, yeah. So, I mean, so I have a nice trip plan. I'm going to four or five different countries, you know, and, you know, Germany. I'm going to think I'm going to go up to um, um, Copenhagen, you know, and it's going to nice travel around. So all my flights are done. They're shut down. So basically, I keep my rental car, and I'm just driving spot to spot, and then I end up, you know, kind of somehow making the trip work. I end up up in uh, Copenhagen, staying with a friend, uh, a friend I've known other guy friend named Morton Thompson, who came over and was a assistant coach on the women's side, you know, in the NCAA a little bit, and and I'm like, well, how am I going to get home? There's no hardly any flights. I might be stuck here for a month, and so I'm calling Delta, and then I get the lady, and this lady's like, listen, there's a flight leaving from Amsterdam um, in, like, 
18 hours. And I'm like, book it. So I tell my friend like, hey, Morton, it's great seeing you, but I got to go to the train station. So he takes me to Copenhagen and I just start getting on trains. You know, it's a a little bit of a journey, you know, I mean, go there. And and I remember the trains were so full. Um, And at one point I'm on a train, I think I was going to Copenhagen at the time. The trains were so full because there was no, no rental cars, no, no, no flights that the Swedish, this, this Swedish dad and his like two older sons were coming back from a golfing tournament. They were in Scotland. So they had to basically go down all the way down the UK, you know, through Netherlands, Germany, and they're working themselves back up to Scandinavia. And I had my bag with me, my backpack or whatever. And, and the train was so full and I was so tired. I just remember those guys were, they were sitting like on a bench with their back against the, the wall. And I said, guys, hey, this might be crazy, but do you mind like moving your legs and letting me lay underneath the bench? And I remember I'm laying underneath the bench, you know, with their legs over the top of me. And, and my nose is probably two inches from their butts, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, what in the world am I doing right now? Just like, oh uh, man. It was all, what an adventure. I mean, that, that's what makes those trips sometimes fun. Exactly. Well, hey, you, like you said, probably 50 countries, uh, 17 different countries have represented outside of the United States have been represented at Gonzaga in the last 20 years. It's amazing. Uh, 20 wins. Uh, every year, pretty much, uh, 20 consecutive NCAA tournaments, which is fourth all time right now. It would have been 21, and it hopefully will be 21 this year. But uh, Tommy Lloyd, our guest today on World of Basketball podcast, the associate head coach at Gonzaga, a huge reason why Gonzaga basketball has gotten to where it has. Uh, nobody recruits internationally uh, as well as he does or they do. And so, Tommy, we appreciate you coming on the World of Podca- uh, Basketball yeah. podcast today. Thanks, Fred. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, podcast with uh, Gonzaga Associate Head Coach Tommy Lloyd. Some interesting stuff. Uh, Tommy's passport has been stamped many, many times over. You heard him say it. He's been to about 50 different countries, which, by the way, is about a quarter of the world. And uh, places like Zimbabwe and, of course, all over Europe and Japan and and, uh, places like that. So really cool. Now, hey, by the way, Mr. Tyler, as we end this, um, we did a podcast a few weeks ago with two former Zags who are Canadians. Kelly Olenek, who is right now in the midst of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals with the Miami Heat, and Kevin Pangos, both Gonzaga stars, who's now playing in Russia. So if you're listening and you enjoyed the Tommy Lloyd podcast today, go back, catch up with uh, Kevin Pangos and Kelly Olenek, two of the Zags' international connection, both from Canada. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed our podcast. Uh, Stay tuned because you know next week I will bring you to another place in my world of basketball.